It's day five of the London Film Festival And it's raining It's crazy, the weather is not great But getting to go watch films What's better than that, right? So who cares about what's happening outside Because today we're bringing you a review of The Front Runner the new um, Jason Reitman f- film starring Hugh Jackman And also a review of Aquiliara And an interview with its director Victor Kovakoski So um, yeah I hope you uh, enjoy and find these helpful The first film um, today was The Front Runner. This is the um, the new one directed by Jason Reitman. It's produced by Jason Jason Reitman, Helen Estrabrook, Aaron L. Gilbert, and it was written by Matt Bay, Jay Carlson, and Jason Reitman. Starring Hugh Jackman, Vera Faminga and J.K. Simmons It's 105 minutes and it's distributed by Sony Pictures releasing Okay, so the, um, the breakdown of the film is this Democratic candidate, Gary Hart A, prodigi- a prodigiously good Jackman was the man to beat in the 1988 American presidential campaign. Handsome, whip-smart, principled, and with really great hair. He led George W. Bush in the polls by double digits. America loved him, yet that all, yet that all changed in a week. Breaking unwritten rules on the personal discretions allowed politicians the Miami Herald staked out Hart's Washington apartment to expose his long-rumoured extramarital affairs, this one with beautiful blonde Donna Rice. Following suit, other media camped outside his house, pursuing the candidate's wife and daughter, Vera Faminga and Catelyn Diva. Based on Matt Bay's expose, All the Truth is Out, the weak politics went tabloid. Reitman's film centres on this extraordinary week, but this satisfyingly multi-layered script also probes Hart's own attitudes, the sense of male entitlement that made him blithely unable to recognise how his behaviour would hurt the women in, women involved, with J.K. Simmons shining as Hart's campaign manager in an ex, ex, uh, in an excellent in ensemble. Um, standouts also include Faminga, Diva, and Molly Epraham as one of the few women on Hart's campaign team. This is a cracking top-class political drama. I think um, 
you know, this does sum up the film, but I would say, I don't believe that Hart's behaviour was, it was male entitlement, he just seemed to believe that politicians should be um, granted a, a, a certain level of of freedom and that the press should be following certain rules and that look you might do certain things in your spare time maybe but if you are you know the promises that you are making to your constituents if you keep to those then that's all that matters you know what you say in front of the camera what you say in parliament um or congress should i say over over in the states you know what you should what you say to your constituents that is the core that is the only thing they should be concerned about not your personal life so it was that not really male entitlement i feel but um you know it is an interesting kind of thing, uh, film. I, I I think um everything really does ooze of delusion and denial. And that's that's definitely at the forefront of this because you know Hart believes in one thing. Um, there's like journalists that are believing something else, which does go against. I think the way they've been doing business and it is you know it's creepy look yes they are breaking a story and you could say it is important to know but it's the glee in which they're doing certain things you do kind of feel well you know there's lines you know when they were harassing his daughter it's a bit like you know this isn't this isn't a good situation and then you had some other people that really seemed to have an agenda but were trying to veil it in something else you know and so when when I say um, delusion and denial that's not just Gary Hart that's several different characters here Uh, but yeah I think Jackman did he does put on a good performance um I it might, I don't think it's his best, but he he does put on a good performance. It does feel that he is wholeheartedly believing in the things that are coming out of his mouth. You know, he he doesn't really. Yeah, it's just like he's departmentalized himself. So this is what his wife gets. This is what you know his constituents get this is what his staff get and you know there's no real crossing those lines it's a bit like when people go well what about the staff you know your actions how do you think it affects them he's just like well I don't think it's any of their business you know like why should they care about this stuff And, and so it's that weird kind of attitude that look this is this so yeah pay no attention to anything else people like what are you doing um i i think 
it's uh, it maybe doesn't carry um, the same kind of conviction all the way through the film because you know when you are um, like dealing with uh, you know Donna Rice the the the, the woman he's having the affair with. Like, she's kind of talking like she's the victim in all of this. But, like, she knows he's married. You know what I mean? So this is the thing. It's a bit like she's not an innocent party. But the film is kind of treating her slightly like she is an innocent party. And I think... That's when you start to blur some lines there. Because it's kind of... Well, you know... You, you, you can say... You can definitely say that Gary's in the wrong. And that he's bad for doing what he's done. Uh, and, you know, I, I think the real victim... Is Vera uh, Famiga. But... Donna Rice is definitely not really a victim she's not innocent in this she went in knowing full well what her actions were doing now again it's like do people deserve to be harassed by um media i think that's the true question you know what what's the line between um, pursuing a story and just encroaching on people's lives. I think that's the a, a big question that it was kind of thrown up, but it wasn't, I don't really feel it was truly um, addressed here, which is a bit of a shame. But, um, you know, I guess... You've only got so much time. I think the funny thing is, although it's it's an hour and five minutes, so an an, an hour and forty minutes, like uh, it's one hundred and five minutes, which is yeah, an hour and um, an uh, just over an an hour forty, an hour and forty five minutes. Um, it did feel a bit longer though. I would say it. It's not, I wouldn't say this film was slow. Obviously, it's not an action film, you know, so everything is playing out at a certain pace. But it um, it probably doesn't carry the same engagement as other films of its ilk. You know, if you compare it to things like The American President, um, 13 Days, The Contender, Ides of March, you know, which is probably a really big one. Um, yeah, Ides of March and Contender are, are, are really good comparisons, I feel. Um, and like Nixon, those films had um, a certain conviction about them. That captivated you when you were watching them. That you didn't want to miss anything. This doesn't quite have that. 
you know we still we are getting good performances from basically everyone involved you know there's not really you know one of those things where you're like ah that person really didn't carry the carry their weight in this no like everyone I think puts on a good performance but there's just something slightly missing with the film but look if you are fans of things like the west wing newsroom as I, as we you know mentioned like the contender ides of march you know if you like the this t- these tv shows and these films then you know you definitely won't want to miss miss this uh so you will be able to see it again on Monday the 15th at 11.45am and that's it in Bankment Garden Cinema but, you know, this will get a larger release so, um, yeah, you know, you, you'll be able to catch it there is no fear of this um, and one thing that people should also know all screenings have an audio description soundtrack for customers who are blind or partially sighted. Headphones are available on request at the venue. So, yeah, if you have any issues, ask someone at box office or one of the member of the BFI staff in the blue um, T-shirts. Uh, I believe they say BFI or London Film Festival. There's kind of patterns, uh, a slight pattern on the front. But yeah, so that was The Front Runner. I think if you had told me, um, would you like to, you know, there's a film about water. Would you like to see it? I'd definitely be um, a little sceptical. But I have to say, I I saw um, Aquarelia. uh, And this is the new new documentary from... uh, I feel, you know, you can say he's a Russian... Master of film, Viktor Korskakovsky. Um, and it is produced by Amara Rakez, Henio Deckert, as Sigrid Dykur. Um, it is 89 minutes and it's from Lionsgate. Now, um, this film, uh, one of the things that was really, um, I feel, was, uh, kind of a barrier for me seeing it was the fact that it, it, it's listed as having subtitles, uh, but, um, I was speaking to, uh, you know, the, the, the film's publicity, uh, person Piers McCarthy and um you know he's like oh, you know 
you should watch this. And I was, I don't know because it's got subtitles, so I think I'm going to have to pass. And he's like, look, don't worry. There's hardly any um, dialogue in this film. And I'm so glad that he told me that because he's correct. There really isn't much dialogue, so you don't... You know, I I didn't feel like I missed anything without being able to read the subtitles that, you know, that were there. Uh, But, you know, let me um, give you the synopsis. Walter is the main protagonist, seen in all its great and terrible beauty. Mountains of ice move and break apart as if they had a life of their own. Kosakowski's film travels the world from the precocious frozen waters of Russia's Lake Bakal and Miami in the froze of Hurricane Irma to Venezuela's mighty Angel Falls in order to paint a portrait of this fluid life force in all its glorious forms. Fragile humans experience life and death, joy and despair in the face of its power. They're depicted trying to cope with the massive environment around them. Koskakovsky creates a cinema of breathtaking visual poetry, generating emotion through minimal dialogue and attention to the tiniest details cars are devoured by the sea silver air bubbles flow across submerged ice like liquid mercury massive icebergs breach and blow like whales accompanied by a haunting soundtrack and soundscape aquarelia is a hypnotic mesmerizing experience this is a thrill ride for lovers of nature and epic rock folk operas alike um and yeah i i would definitely say that's correct you know you really see walter in every kind of one of its guises in this film you know um, there's like rain storms like icebergs like ice sheets and waves crashing down it's just so fascinating like just to see all of this on screen and to be mesmerized by everything that you are um kind of just watching you know they're like you're you're seeing um people like trying to cope with you know rivers frozen over with ice and the precariousness of that you know like one one minute it's thick the next minute it's thin you know having to watch your step making sure you don't fall in and drown you know they're they're scavenging in this environment you know so they can live and it's just you know it's it's um like nail biting really watching them navigate this yeah it's kind of insane like being on a boat in the heart of a storm 
you're just like, what is going on? How, how could this be filmed? It's crazy. Like, all of these really hazardous environments, they're being filmed in a way that's so up close. You, you're just, like, scratching your head, wondering, like, how are you putting yourselves in this much danger? Like, you know, like, this just seems insane. Um, but, you know, by getting that close, it's allowing you to see things on another level, which really does, like, give you that new relationship to water, you know, just seeing it in all these different forms. I think something else that is, um, you know, like, unique, I feel, with this is the soundtrack. It's the music that's accompanying scenes. It's not like your um, kind of nice, flowing, unintrusive sound. It's this loud, in-your-face, like, pay-attention kind of music. And I think that adds to the ferocity that is water at its core, you know, it's not this um, sit-in-the-corner element, it's something that can change the face of any environment, and the water, uh, sorry, and the, um, yeah, the music really brings, just helps bring that home to you, you know, Um, so it was, I think it is a um a, a very um good choice from everyone involved to um yeah bring this to us and um like the scenes like the bookends of this film the scenes used i think are really good at giving you that like here you are, this is water, this is, you know, like, different forms of this element, so, pay attention, I feel that's what these scenes do, and that's perfect for bringing you into the film, and then ending the film, uh, which is great, um, and, you know, there, there's certain things that you, I think, that are questions that you may have, like, about the, the way this is filmed, like, about the music and why it's there. Uh, but um, I'm going to be interviewing uh, Victor. And so um, I'm, I'm hoping that we can get answers on these things. And um, yeah, I will play you that interview straight after this review. So I hope 
it does add some extra clarity to things um, for you. And, um, you know, I would say, yeah, go um, check your local cinema. Check somewhere like the Prince Charles, DICA, because hopefully you will be able to find um, this screening at uh, some of those um, maybe smaller independent venues. Okay, so I'm here with Victor Korskakoski. Korsakowski. Korsakowski, who is the director of Aquilieria? Aquarela. Aqua, aqua what? Aquarela. Okay. I've been looking at his title and I'm just like, all right, do I pronounce it like that? How am I pronouncing this? You know why it's happening? Because before we start, I, I was saying nice words about your voice. <laughs> <laughs> and this is kind of consequence. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. How did the name of the film come about? Yeah, this is very strange. But, um, Actually, producer, Scotch producer, called me and uh, she wanted me to make a movie about uh, water, water. And I said, no, 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 I will not do it because uh, so many films about water and mm. people talking, talking, talking heads about water. And I said, no, no, I don't understand. And she said, why? But what if it's called Aquarella? And I said, well, this is something else because this I can do because it means water is my watercolors and camera is my brush mm. then I can do it so the reason why she called it aquarella is I have kind of nickname it's a little bit shy to say but as far you asking this question uh, in documentary world people often call me Rembrandt of documentary so okay yes so this title this kind of makes kind sense of makes sense yeah, yeah. This is this is how she bought me. This is how she. <laughs> this is what happened. So. Ah, yeah. Okay. Mm. Ah, okay. Yeah. No, that make. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I was. Yeah, that was one of the things I was wondering. Like, oh, I wonder how. Like the name came about. You know how it kind of all fits together. Um, now. I, I. I was. I was given some production notes that I had a look through. And in the production notes, it talks about you having this relationship with water all your life, you know, from an early age as a four-year-old and being told that if, if you put a little boat in the water, in this stream, it will eventually get to the ocean. Um, so, with, and you know, it seems that some of the other films have gone back to the theme of water um, and you've looked at this kind of stuff, but what was it that made this film happen now? All right, yeah. Actually, I wanted to make it many years, many, many years, but to convince people uh, that you can make film without story and without human character and without narrative, it's quite difficult. And you, even now, with my reputation, I still spent almost four years to finance this film, right? Before it was totally impossible, like even to, I, st I start, my first attempt was in 2000, I was talking to BBC and I said to them, I can film 
just this Baltic Sea. You call it North Sea, right? How do you call it Baltic Sea? Baltic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can say if I just put camera in front of Baltic Sea, I can make 90 minutes film without filming anything else. Just mm. and they didn't believe me. <laughs> so <laughs> then I said, okay, I will prove it to you. And I made a film Tisha from my window. Mm. And I same concept. So I said, okay, I will if you don't believe me. I will put camera in front of my window, in from my window, and just film what is happening. And BBC screened this title "Russia from my window," so it's also camera was not moving, just. So, but the, now all time is passing. You cannot just do film from with one point. <laughs> yeah, you have to, because now people like to watch fast. Yes. Fast films. Yeah, it's, it's all about that short. fast cut, the boom, 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 boom yeah. the shaky cam, yeah, yeah. you know, that really intense, like, yeah, close yeah. Up. And yeah. uh, people do not think what it, what is different, but I can explain to them, and they can probably think a little bit. When I, when director, for most popular films at the moment in the market, and what, what is making more money in the box office, film with, films with average of the shot about 1.2 seconds. Mm-hmm. What it means? It means director does not give you any chance to think. Yeah, yeah. He dictate what you have to see and how you have to see it. So if editing is faster, director really directing your perception. He doesn't give you a chance to reflect, to, uh, to think about yourself or to, to, to see a picture differently, to see me details. No. As short as short, less chance for you to, to, for, to have an ambivalent opinion. So that's why it's quite, in a way, dangerous. If cinema will continue this way, then films will be more and more um, direct, simple message. Like mm. you have to see world like this. Yeah, yeah. And not as it is, but as director thinks mm. it is. So it's different thing. That's why. By the way, it's also interesting that how it's turned upside down because the shots, very short shots, they were in the beginning of cinema, in the f- in the real appearance of cinema. It was like this because actually cameras was camera didn't have possibility to film long, right? So the shots actually was five second, ten second, mm. and then it took almost hundred years before Sakurov made ninety minutes one shot rationale. So in between filmmakers was con- kind of competition. Who is making longer shot like right. Tarkovsky or Bergman or so it was kind of insane competition no mm. one was talking openly about it yeah but yeah. we knew that we kind of compete to each other who is making shots longer until Sakura beat all of us <laughs> <laughs> so, and now it's getting totally opposite now it's getting faster 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 but to mm. film to film for water faster, it's impossible, right?
right? You you have to give chance people to see water. Otherwise, it's not water. Yeah, it's not film about water. Then, then it's just my my speech. So is this the reasoning to do it in ninety? Ninety-six. Yeah. yeah, the reason was, uh, yeah. First of all, I believe there is a time for change in cinema, and it's like hundred years of stagnation in a way. Uh, it's hundred years of twenty-four frames per second. It's enough. Can you can you do me a favor? Because it's just here, I, and uh, I believe we have to we have chance to. Have, we have to move forward. We have to. Technically, mm -hmm. it's possible, but of course, it must be reason. It must be reason why to do it. Otherwise, it's gonna be just technical trick, right? So, and um, yeah, I wanted to. Actually, it started with. It was a great film by Yuri Simmons, uh, called Rain. And it's a short poetic film about rain. And. As you know, in cinema, rain looks like short lines. Mm -hmm. And I said, no, it shouldn't be like this. And I start checking, filming different speed to understand what rain looks like in real. And it looks like every drop separate. Well, yes, because you have the scene with the big kind of boulder, kind of ice rain coming down. Right, yeah. um, Which was really, in like, with all the scenes and everything like that, what was for you what was the most interesting scene and what was the most dangerous scene for me for myself mm -hmm. most important was to to be in this middle of the storm in ocean in order to show you ocean because in cinema actually it's the first time when in history of cinema you can see ocean in real because the everything you have seen made in studios Mm, yes, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, so it's a different thing. And the reason is why it was never made in, 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 in ocean, because you simply cannot film in ocean. If camera is just jumping, and, mm. and boat, uh, if you're in a boat, boat is moving upside down, and everything is uh, up and down, and left, right. So you don't see water itself. And my first idea was to film water as it is, and I wanted there was um, this was my first idea to show to people power of ocean the how it's huge and what how water looks like like with all this variety of emotions variety of uh, from beautiful to horrible almost in the same minute mm. so this is like when you don't you don't change shot it's the same shot it starts like beautiful and then suddenly in 20 seconds same shot becoming almost can kill you right this is this is was the idea behind okay so the boat that's the most dangerous thing would you think yeah it was definitely in terms of no many of course to idea to i wanted also to see iceberg how it looks iceberg below it mm. right and we have unbelievable unbelievable british diver cameraman richard like insanely brave man of course they also compete to each other <laughs> and they only five in the planet like top ones yeah 
and they will compete to each, uh, each other. Who, who would be the first one doing this, or who would be the first one filming this? And now he's the first one who was below iceberg, which is insane, right? <laughs> which is totally unbelievable, unbelievable. So it's a real achievement. No, that, that's really, yeah, that's, that's really interesting. Like, one thing I found very interesting was the music. Like, usually with something like this, you really kind of get a more sedate, like, score, like a one-line yes, one, yeah, one yeah, goal yeah, yeah, or, yeah. A, you know, maybe yeah, 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 a yeah, yeah, yeah. or Absolutely. something. But this was more of a, like, a, a hard metal. So what... What was it that made you choose this? <laughs> it was amazing, actually. Uh, uh, so when I was filming, every shot we made, all team were, after, after camera stopped, all team were screaming, wow, it was heavy metal shot. So when we were filming, and of course, when I start edit, I forgot about it. Mm. And of course, logically, you go to s score and big music, but then it doesn't work somehow. It kind of, and then I said, why don't I try heavy metal? And <laughs> this is how it appeared and rock and all stuff. Yeah, uh, this is how it happened. Okay, now that's really interesting. All right, because I know we're on um, time restraints. So let me just try and squeeze two last things in. Like, how long was the shoot in total? Because you were jumping all over the place. Yeah, we did not film much because, you know, in terms of ratio, we did not film much because you you mostly pre spending time to prepare shooting. Mm. As a, because otherwise you will die. If you film in such condition, you really need to think every detail. For example, we have shots like four minutes in the hell and lens is clean, right? Lens is, has no any drop, yeah. but everything around just total hell. And of course you need to think a lot how you can make it, right? So every episode before we start doing it, it was everything spontaneous in a way that we did not plan. We didn't plan shooting. I didn't have any script. But actual shooting, like when we knew, okay, we want to film this, we really spent time to prepare, have to make it technically unbelievable. And that's why the actual ratio was not big. We, we, we didn't film a lot of 100,000. No, mm -hmm. no, no. It was quite, quite... Okay. Quite and what did you use to get some of the panning shots? Was it a helicopter, a drone? Like, what was it? Because you had these amazing kind of shots that kind of just zoomed and went across and really brought the landscape. Yeah, I, um, honestly saying, I wanted to tell it uh, to people, but uh, my producers from participants from Hollywood, they said, stop talking, let's make book. <laughs> because behind every shot, yeah, yeah. this is innovative uh, kind of something we invented just for this mm, and they mm. say 
people will enjoy to see your drawing, how you made this, everything. Yeah, no, definitely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can Im imagine that. Good. But yeah, you could definitely make the film again, but you just curating each shot each as, shot, as it went yeah, through. Yeah. This is, because you know why? Because I personally believe, as far as everyone can make movies, Everyone has mobile phone or good photo camera which can film video. Mm. I still believe professionals supposed to have kind of something more than normal people can yes. do. Yeah, 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 we yeah. need to keep level of the people will say, okay, I can do for my family video, mm. but let's keep films for professionals. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is. Let's keep cinema for cinema. Not, let's not use cinema for to change presidents or to to make to make any other. Yeah, person. just a, just a, a humdrum, by you know, by numbers thing. Like how you want to show something spectacular, something that you you can't just get off the exactly, show. Exactly, exactly. The cinema is supposed to give you to show you something you will never experience anyhow else. Like, mm -hmm. So this is my idea was behind. So I will, I know you will watch this. You will say, wow, I never seen it. I never experienced it. And most important, I'm not going to forget it. No, it's true. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't know I could watch Water for 90 minutes. Yeah, without voiceover, yeah, without I, any narration. I, 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 yeah. I was fascinated because I wasn't going to watch this film because I can't watch subtitled films because I've got bad eyesight, so I can't see the subtitles. And I was talking to Pierce, and he was like, don't worry, there's, there's hardly any Oh, dialogue. you're lucky with my second. Yeah. My, my next film is even has not even one subtitle. Well, Victor, <laughs> it, it's been a joy to talk to you. Thank you much for Thank your you time. Very much. And I look, yeah, I look forward to seeing the next production, and maybe we can have a number conversation yes, and definitely. Um, yeah, talk about yeah. that. And I made it in UK, by the way. Ah, okay. It's called Krogo Fund and I filmed it in UK and I'm so surprised how beautiful people in UK. Okay. I'm totally in love with English people and, and Welsh people, like fantastic people. Oh, fantastic. So hopefully we'll see you definitely. at um, the 63rd London Film Festival. Yes, definitely. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you, Victor. And say, uh, can I give you one compliment? So that's it for today. Um, we'll be back again tomorrow, which will be day six. And um, we should have reviews of Life Itself and United Skates. Um, plus... They'll miss me when I'm dead. Um, yeah, and hopefully we'll have another another couple of interviews for you as well. So, um, yeah, enjoy the festival and we'll see you soon.